age of waiting, an age of expectation, knowing that Christ is coming back, but not knowing when. The Apostle writes, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by that same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Our Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be, both, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, summarizing many such passages, the final article in our confession of faith, declares, Finally, we believe, according to the word of God, when the time appointed by the Lord, which is unknown to all creatures, is come, and the number of the elect complete, that our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven corporally and visibly as He ascended, with great glory and majesty to declare Himself judge of the living and the dead, burning this old world with fire and flame to cleanse it, Then all men will personally appear before this great judge, both men and women and children, that have been from the beginning of the world to the end thereof, being summoned by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the trump of God. For all the dead shall be raised out of the earth, and their souls joined and united with their proper bodies in which they formerly lived. As for those who shall then be living, they shall not die as the others, but be changed." 
in the twinkling of an eye, and from corruptible become incorruptible. Then the books, that is to say the consciences, shall be opened, and the dead judged according to what they shall have done in this world, whether it be good or evil. Nay, all men shall give account of every idle word they have spoken, which the world only counts amusement and jest. And then the secrets and hypocrisy of men shall be disclosed and laid open before all. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, time often moves slowly for those who are young. As a child, I loved pretty much everything about summer vacation. I loved camping with its endless opportunities for biking and fishing and boating. I loved spending days roaming in the woods with my friends. I loved opportunities to get lost in a book without school interrupting. I even loved those summer projects my dad always came up with because it was a good opportunity to work beside him and and to learn new things. But it always seemed like summer was never going to come. That last month or so of school seemed to just drag on endlessly. Time moves slowly when you're young, especially when you're looking forward to something. Also when you dread something. By the way, I remember a time when I got in a fight in elementary school and they dragged the two of us down to the principal's office and sat us in chairs outside his office door and said, sit here until he's ready. We probably only sat there for five minutes, but it seemed like five years. Often, when you're young, when there's some big event looming in the future, whether something you long for or something you dread, time seems to just drag on. At other times, especially as we get older, time flies, right? Just witnessed the graduation of my fifth child. Seems like yesterday that she started elementary, started kindergarten at Hills Christian School, and suddenly she's graduated. Blows me away. The point is, time is relative. Our perception of time is relative. Depending on our age, depending on the circumstances, depending on what looms in the future. Already in the days of the Apostle Peter... Men were complaining about the slowness of the fulfillment of God's promises. Jesus said He was coming back soon. Where is He? It's been years. The prophets promised that He was going to come back. The prophets promised that the judgment was coming. The renewal of all things was going to happen. The resurrection. What what happened? Season goes by after season after season. Nothing changes. What's going on? Did he really mean it? And so they would mock. They would laugh. Even among the leaders of the Jews, the Sadducees, they they mocked and belittled the Scriptures, saying that we can't really believe them as being true. But our confession reminds us, brothers and sisters, that even though 2,000 years have been added to the clock since Peter wrote... Nonetheless, God's Word is true. It is absolutely trustworthy. If Jesus said He will return, He will return exactly in the way and exactly for the purposes which He spoke. 
And thus this first half of Article 37 teaches us to confess quite simply the certainty of the coming day of judgment. Even though it seems like things are just going to keep going the way they've been going, time after time after time, we confess the certainty of the coming day of judgment. And we must confess it if we're to live aright. We must confess it if we're to live in a way that is profitable for us and honoring to God. And believing that, confessing that, means believing in the powerful return of our judge. This first of all. This is something we know because the Bible proclaims it. It's the first thing to which Peter appealed in our scripture reading. Verse 2. That what was written in the past by the prophets, what our Lord Jesus Himself commanded the apostles to teach, what God said in His Word is absolutely true, absolutely trustworthy, and absolutely must be believed by God's people. Now many people scoff. Peter recognized that back in his day. We see it in our day. They, they scoff. Because, as Peter said in verse 3, they follow their own sinful desires. They scoff, they mock about the day of judgment because they're living according to the sin that comes natural. They're living in a state of rebellion. They mock the promise of the coming day of judgment because they don't want to believe it's real. Because if it's real... They know they're in trouble. They know that they can't answer for all of their sins. They can't answer for all of their rebellion. They can't answer for all of the times that they knew what they should do and they did otherwise. And so they mock, they laugh, they snicker and sneer at us. But Peter reminds us that such thinking is folly. Men scoff about the idea of the day of judgment based on the faulty assumption that the way things are now is the way things always will be and the way things always have been. In other words, that there is a continuity to the passage of time, to the unfolding of history. But that's wrong. It hasn't always been the way it is and it won't always be. There was a time when this world was radically different. Kids, do you know that? It had a very different landscape. It had a very different population. Even the continents had a very different shape. But then God sent His judgment in the form of a flood that covered the whole world. It dramatically altered the world as it was. It changed the landscape. It probably even changed the climate. And it destroyed every living thing that breathed the air. Except for eight people and the creatures that God preserved alive on the ark that those eight people built. Now the people of Noah's age scoffed at the idea of God's coming judgment, even though Noah, for the 120 years it took him to build the ark, professed to them, proclaimed to them, the coming of judgment and the necessity of repentance. They scoffed, they mocked, they thought he was crazy. But God drowned out their scoffing literally and eternally. And so it shall be again, not with a flood, but with an even greater judgment. The unbelieving world will scoff until the very day that the trumpet sounds. They will continue to ignore the evidence of past judgment, the flood, 
with foolish theories that pretend the world has existed for hundreds of millions of years. Why is it that our culture is so intent on preserving the, the theory of evolution? Well, it's because if evolution is true, then there is no purpose, there is no change. Everything continues the way it always has. What exists is a random accident that has no purpose, that has no goal, that has no moral standards, and therefore they won't have to answer for their deeds. But it's a lie. I mean, look around you. Look at all the pattern, all the design that could not have just happened. And then look a little deeper and see all the evidence of the flood all the evidence of judgment that God left in the world as a signpost demonstrating to us that we will answer, that we will stand before Him, that we cannot escape the reality of who we are and what we have done. Christ, according to God's Word, is coming in judgment, and we believe that because He said so. Now that's not to say that we know everything about the judgment that is to come, far from it. We don't know specifically what it'll look like, precisely how men will react to it, how long that judgment process will take. Above all, we don't know when it will occur. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, verse 36, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. That chapter, Matthew 24, is often misunderstood. Earlier in the chapter, there's all these signs of the times. And people say, see, this is what we need to look at, and then we can know when the time is drawing close. That's not what he was talking about. He was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the signs that would precede that. They would be able to see that. It was going to happen, he even said, within that generation. And they needed to know when it was coming so they could escape from it. But concerning that day and hour, he said, the day he returns, the day all, things, all people are judged, no one knows. In fact, he says it'll be like the days of Noah. Men will be going about their business, marrying and being given in marriage, doing their work, acting as though nothing is going to change, and suddenly the judgment will fall upon them. As we heard in 2 Peter 3, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And while people are saying, peace, peace, the Lord will come back. Could happen this afternoon or tomorrow. Or there could be another 2,000 years before Jesus comes back. What we do know is that God has delayed that time as an act of His grace. Never forget what Peter says in verse 9 of our scripture reading. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He delays in order to ensure that every last one of His elect hears the Word, receives faith from the Holy Spirit, and turns to Him. And therefore, we know the day's coming. We know that its delay is for the good of those whom God has chosen. Beyond that, we cannot, we dare not speculate as to when it comes. But know this, when that day dawns, we will all know it. It will bring catastrophic changes upon the world itself. Peter says, The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
The very creation will be changed to such a degree that it will be almost unrecognizable to us. But first, first Jesus will return. He will return as he departed, that is physically from heaven, returning publicly in a way that men will behold, will see, will bear witness to it. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. So brothers and sisters, fear not that you will miss it. No one will be able to miss it. Immediately upon the, world, the Lord's return, everyone will know. Everyone will be put on notice. Even the most hardened skeptic will be convinced on the day of the Lord. And at that time, two processes will begin. First of all, God will begin to cleanse and renew the creation. Today, every element and aspect of the whole universe is defiled. Sin has ruined everything. Nothing, nothing has escaped that defilement. But on that day, Peter says, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. He will cleanse everything by fire. All of the defilement, all of the ruin, all of the ugliness will become smoke and ash. What Israel did to Jericho when it entered the promised land, devoting it to destruction by fire, that's what God will do to the very creation. But not forever. This destruction will prepare the creation for renewal. Like a prairie that has burned with fire, destroying all of that which is old and dead and decayed. New life will be sent forth from the midst of the ashes and not a stain, not a thorn, not a trace of defilement will remain. And so Peter says, according to his promise, we are awaiting a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But first, Christ must return to judge. Jesus said in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne and before Him will be gathered all the nations. With His return, Jesus will be seen and confessed as the judge of all men. And so our second point, the coming of that day will bring the personal rising of all men. You see, above all else, that day will be a day of judgment. The Lord will transform the creation itself into His courtroom, a place where testimony is heard that reveals the righteousness or the evil of all men, a place where evidence is brought forth to which God Himself will attest. In that day, says Peter, everything will be seen in its true light. There will be no hiding, no hypocrisy, no secrets among mankind, no oaths will be needed in that courtroom, because God Himself will bring every shred of evidence. In that great courtroom, every individual who ever has lived, or ever shall live, will be brought before the throne. Not just kings and princes, the people important in the eyes of men, certainly not just those who were horrific in the eyes of men. In Matthew 25, Jesus says plainly, before him will be gathered all the nations. 
And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. All the nations that are or ever have been, all the people of all the nations who ever have drawn breath. And on that day, Jesus shall exercise his full authority as judge. We heard in our assurance of pardon reading. God has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And on that day, Jesus will use what the Father has given him. He will summon everyone to appear before him from Adam and Eve and their children all the way to the last babe born on the day that he returns. That's hard for our minds to grasp, isn't it? A crowd that absolutely immense and extensive. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, the apostle helps us to picture that day. He says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Their bodies will come forth from the grave. Their souls from heaven. They will be made whole and gathered before the Lord. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will all be drawn into His presence. Everyone who has ever lived. Now, of course, there's lots of details we don't know about that. Will everyone be present for the judging of everyone? What will be the condition of those who are waiting? There are many questions like that that the Lord leaves unanswered. But what He does tell us is more than enough. Because He tells us this will be the day, the great day of reunion. Not just reunion among people. Frankly, I think on that day we will be so focused on what is happening before the throne that we won't even think to say hi to Aunt Susie and Uncle Jim. For those who are believers, that time will come later. This will be the day of reunion between body and soul. Those whose bodies have lain in the dust for years, for decades, for centuries, for millennia, will be reconstituted, their bodies restored to their souls. And even more so, it will be a day of reunion between men and their God. For believers, this will be an astoundingly joyful day. They were ushered into the presence of God at their death, but now they stand bodily before Him. All for which they have longed and hoped will be within their grasp. So immense will be our joy that we will be overcome. But for unbelievers, a much more sobering day. Their eyes, long blinded by lies and delusions, will be unable not to see. With trembling hearts, their knees will bow before the God they denied and slandered. They will honor Jesus the King in terror at what this day holds. And beloved, all of this will come to pass. Christ and His prophets and apostles swear to it, and we know their word is true. The word of the prophets was true in every last detail when they foretold the coming of Christ and His life and His salvation. And even so, their promise of His return and the judgment to follow will come to pass. Guaranteed. Therefore, beloved, we must believe that Jesus is coming back. We must believe that every one of us will appear before Him and we must prepare for His coming. How do you do that? How do you study for that final exam? You know how you do it? You repent of your sin, especially the sin of relying on yourself. 
You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation. And you seek to live every day demonstrating that faith, demonstrating that you belong to Him, demonstrating that your trust is not in you or what you've done or who you've become, but in Christ and in Him alone. Let it be our constant and fervent prayer that none of us or our children greet that day unprepared, but that every one of us greets that day with joy abounding, knowing that Jesus has already won the victory for us. Because again, that day is going to arrive. We cannot, in our heart of hearts, honestly doubt that. And therefore, we need to prepare for that day which will bring the public revealing of every secret. That's the last thing we see here. Now, we're going to talk next week, Lord willing, about how that is a comfort. But today we need to see that that day of judgment, that day of raising every man, it's a day that reveals every secret, and that's sobering. See, this is the question that our confession urges us to ask. How will Christ judge us on that day? Sure, the day's coming, and everyone will be gathered before Him, but on what basis will He judge us? God's Word is very clear about that. Revelation 20 says, On that great day of judgment, every individual will be brought before Christ's great white throne. And then, verse 12, John says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. We shall be judged according to what is in the books before the Lord, which reveal what we have done. Our confession summarizes that a bit by saying that those books, many of them, reveal the conscience of man. In our heart of hearts, we know what we have done and what those deeds signify whether they signify submission to and love for the Lord or rebellion against Him. And on that day, the Lord will open the books and our very conscience, our own hearts, will testify either for or against us. Revelation 20 emphasizes everything we have done, every word we have spoken, The desires of our hearts, all of it will be laid bare for the world to see. And there will also be one more book, the book of life. In that book is written the name of every one of those whom God chose from before the creation itself to be His. Beside each one of their names will be written debt paid in full. Beside each one of their names will be written, the righteousness of Christ belongs to this one. Inscribed over every one of those names, holy to the Lord. It's on this basis that we shall be judged. All of us. And you must be ready. Because what is written in those books will determine your eternity. Jesus said 
in John 5. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. He will reveal all that has been done, all the shameful deeds as well as the commendable deeds, all of the thoughts that were thought and the the words that were spoken, the things that were coveted, the bitterness cherished, the forgiveness refused, but also the purity desired, the kindness shown in secret. All of it will be revealed. For those who continued in their rebellion, it will reveal that rebellion in a way that will silence their lips. They won't seek to offer a rebuttal. They won't seek to defend or explain away their actions. It will be evident to them and to every individual. They deserve the wrath of the God who made them to know and love and serve them. The God who gave them every single blessing in life. The God who sustained every cell of their being. The God who surrounded them with good things that were made for His service. Which they misused in rebellion against Him. What is revealed in those books will reveal that they are rightly to be destroyed. Matthew 25, Jesus separates the people on his right hand and on his left. And to those on his left, he says, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he points out all of the mercy that they refused to show, all of the kind deeds that they refused to do, all of the opportunities to serve the Lord that they scorned. But for those on his right... He will say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he will point out how they fed the hungry, gave drink to those who thirsted, how they clothed the naked and visited those in prison, how they showed the mercy and the love and the compassion of God. Not perfectly. The works of God's people are not in and of themselves perfect, but they reveal the reality of our faith in Christ. And that's why we receive the inheritance. That's the basis on which we receive that glorious promise. What Jesus has done for us to cover over our sins, to impart righteousness to us, our deeds simply demonstrate the reality of the faith that join us to Christ. And because our deeds demonstrate that, beloved, Oh, how wonderful, how amazing will our eternity be. Knowing that, beloved. And knowing that on that day, the words that we've spoken will be the least important thing. Because Jesus says in Matthew 7, that there are many who on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not serve you? And he'll say, get away from me, I never knew you. Their deeds demonstrated, their lawlessness demonstrated that their words were a lie. So knowing that on that day our deeds will be a louder profession than our words ever were. Folks, that must make a dramatic difference in how we live today. Nothing truly is done in secret. 
Everything, whether public or private, will be revealed on that last great day. Even your deepest thoughts and the words that you spoke in jest. And so Peter counsels us in our scripture reading, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. Instead, says the apostle, embrace lives of holiness and godliness. Verse 11 and verse 14. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Yes, and verse 18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This, beloved, is the response that Jesus desires of you. This is the faith-filled motive which your life ought to reveal. And therefore, your prayer must be that this will be seen by Jesus in that last great day. May God work in us to transform us, that He might be seen in us at all times and that our faith might be so evident that all the world gathered before the throne, hearing the lives that we have lived, will say, this truly was one of His. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that you have not left us in the dark concerning the future that is to come. Grant that we might look forward to and celebrate the impending return of your Son. And Lord, cause us to so live that our very lives will stand as a testimony that we love you, that we serve you, above all that we trust in your Son as the only ground of our salvation. And if there are among us those who don't yet know you, Lord, use the thought of the coming judgment. Use the the reality of the impending revealing of our every deed to convict them and to enable them to see the absolutely essential importance of turning to you, trusting in your Son, and living always and only for Him. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, in response, let us acknowledge the certainty of the coming of that day and its glory as we stand and sing together number 370, Day of Judgment, Day of Wonder.